said, my brain's running in about six different directions with about 15 sermons. So this is, we'll just call this Schizophrenic Sunday. <laughs> but we're not, so I, the, here we are. It's Pentecost Sunday. So those of us that have grown up in Pentecostal um, persuasions, whether it be a charismatic church, Pentecostal church, but we, we grew up with, uh, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, they were always, they, they were emphasized. Um, they, were, um, they were important. They were sought after. They were monetized. They were used to get us speaking engagements. They were, um, they were used to get us to be able to sit on the front row instead of the back row, um, get special invitations. We did a lot of things with the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but the reason that the whole, that the gifts of the spirit have come is because Holy Spirit has come. And we've kind of talked about it this morning and I want to, I want to explore a little bit, even with what the the spirit is already leading us in this morning, Um, that the and I read the scripture already, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And of course, that, that word helper, the Holy Spirit is referred to uh, is, is paraclete. It means to, to be an advocate, an intercessor, uh, one, one that's called the one's aid. So Jesus is saying, you know, first of all, he's speaking to a group of disciples that didn't want him to go, weren't prepared for him to go, and didn't want to hear anything about him leaving. And he comes along and says, no, it's important that I go. So first, I want us to, well, let me finish the verse, and then I'll get into into some of the preaching part of it. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin righteousness, and judgment. So when the Holy Spirit came, the purpose was to bring conviction to the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when the, when the Spirit came, so, so we have this group of people. Jesus has been with them. He's, he's, uh, there's been the resurrection. He's had the encounters with the initial group. But then as the days went on in this period between uh, Passover and Pentecost, he was seen by, by the multitudes. People were having encounters with the resurrected Christ. It was not a hiding behind something. It wasn't this veiled thing that only three or four people in the secret room said they saw him. No, he was like out in the open, talking. He was with them. Now, they had this impression, the disciples, those that were around, if Jesus has now risen from the dead and like, I mean, if we can kind of try to wrap our mind around this, if Jesus was literally, visibly in the room here today with us, 
I think that would transform how we were seeing the day. It would not be just we all got together. No, Jesus was actually here. Not only was he here, he wasn't kind of hovering over the room. He was like sitting in a chair next to you. Yeah. Yeah. And you can walk up to him and say, so, Jesus, I've, I've got this question. I think that would change how we would leave today's experience and how we would interact with people outside of that experience because of the experience we just had. It would not be a, well, you ought to come to our church. It would, I just don't think we would be talking that way because we would be talking about Christ with us. Well, literally, Christ is with us. And the day of Pentecost is the birth of the church. It is all of a sudden, Holy Spirit now has come. Jesus said, it's important for me to go Because if I don't go, the helper can't come. But when the helper comes, it's going to change everything. He's going to change everything in how you, you act. And so here we have a group of people, 120. Jesus says, look, before, don't leave town until the spirit has come. So they don't leave town. They hang out. They're in this room. And, um, They're praying, they're waiting. They don't know what they're waiting for. Yeah, Jesus told him the Holy Spirit will come, but he's never come like he's about to come. So they have no prior experience to gauge what his coming is going to be. You know, it's like sometimes people, you know, I've asked people this question and people will ask me, well, you know, you're in a situation that you've never been in before. And they're like, the, the question will be something along the lines of, well, what do you, how, how are you feeling and thinking about where you're at? I don't know. I've never been here before. I mean, it's changing minute by minute because I've never been here. And I have no, no grid for what the next minute's going to be. All I can do is keep living and waiting for that moment to arrive. Right? So... They had no idea what the coming of the Spirit was going to be. So they're praying. They're waiting for something. They don't know what. And, of course, we know from, from you know, this, the story in Acts, you know, Holy Spirit comes. There's a mighty wind. There's cloven tongues of fire that appears on them. And they all begin to speak in other tongues. They eventually fall down the steps and out into the street, rather intoxicated from the whole event. Events in the presence of God will intoxicate you. It's the way it happens. Because the creator of the universe is now entering this flesh and blood human being. And his vastness is somehow being put into my finiteness. And that's intoxicating. My body responds my brain responds, my heart responds, my emotions respond. And, and oftentimes we find ourselves doing things that normally would not be what we would do. 
And I, I've been in those situations more than once where, you know, when you think back a couple days later after you sobered up, you know, you're like most drunks. You're like, boy, that was, I wouldn't have done that. I don't know what possessed me to do that. Well, you were drunk. That's why you did it. The only difference is, as Peter said, these are, this isn't wine at work. This is the spirit of God at work. This is what the new wine looks like. This isn't something old. This isn't something that the, the, that the earth has produced. This is something that is heaven. Heaven hasn't even produced it. It is heaven. Holy Spirit is God. We have, a, we have a tendency, the way we try to describe things, even though we say that we, we, we adhere to there's one God, the creator of the universe, but we talk about him in such a three-person way most of the time that for, for someone else, they're like, well, you, you got three gods. No, I don't. I just got one God. No, because one sentence you're talking about God the Father, and then over here you're talking about God the Son, and then over here you're talking about God the Holy Spirit. Well, it's three people. No, 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 it's one. It's just one. Well, then why don't you just use one word? Well, because he's not big enough. I mean, he's too big to fit into one word. You can't, we just, you, can't, you can't compress him into one word. But he is one God moving in, our, moving in our midst. So Holy Spirit comes, and they begin to speak in tongues. And, then they, and now they're in the street, and, and as they're speaking in tongues, it says that the people that were in town for the feast began to hear the gospel being proclaimed in their language. Now, I've, I, um, probably after I got saved, I was, it was probably, I don't know, I'll say four months after I became a believer that I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. So that's been 50 years ago. So I've been speaking in tongues a long time. Um, and I have had the encounter, or not, I've had the experience where I was in a prayer group, I was praying in tongues, and a, a young lady that happened to be laying on a bunk in the, in the room while with the others of us were praying and so forth, the language I was speaking, she, it was her language. And God was speaking to her things about her life that she hadn't told anyone. And she got really upset with me because how did I know them? And I'm like, I didn't. I don't even know what language I'm speaking. She says, well, you're speaking my language. And you told me this and you told me this. And I want to know how you know that because I didn't tell that to anybody. I said, well, it's because you're seen. That's, that's the truth of the matter. You're seen. And God is speaking. I'm just, I'm just praying. I, I wasn't trying to get in your business. But God wants to get in your business because he wants to get in your life. She got saved that night. Um, so I've had others, you know, where like today, somebody's speaking in tongues and somebody else gets the interpretation. It's not that we understand the language, but we get the interpretation of what's just been said. And so we share that interpretation. But we also can speak in tongues of men and of angels. Not every, every of all of us in this room, when we pray in tongues, not all of us are praying in, in a worldly language. There's other languages. 
So that, that's part of it. But for me, when, when we speak about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and that tongues, the gift of tongues appeared, and they began to move in this gift, it wasn't a gift for their sake per se, but the scripture does says, say that the one that speaks in tongues also edifies themselves. So there's a gift Holy Spirit has put within us that allows me to edify myself. Now, there's a, I can also speak in tongues giving a, a, a word of exhortation. I can just pray in tongues in an intercessory way, which I do a lot. Um, tongues can be, uh, can be used in a lot of different areas, but it is also the area of, of personal edification. And, and this place of personal edification is where I want to land for a few minutes because what what does that mean I'm personally edifying myself so I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray in tongues and and I'm going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in front of you and you all are going to be amazed at me and it's going to be just just a very self um, self-focused event I don't think that's the purpose what I think happens, at least for me, and as I look at Scripture, I think this is where we're supposed to be. You know, the, the spirit, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If, if prophetic words are coming forth, they should be testifying of Jesus. Something should be happening in that prophetic word that causes me to, to rise up and see Jesus better than I saw prior to the word. When I'm speaking in tongues and I'm edifying myself, the tongues themselves should be directing me towards Jesus. And for me, the, the way they edify me, and I, I, I just, I spent quite a bit of time through the night, this past night, praying in tongues. And this is what, how I think the edification is supposed to really work. I can't speak in tongues unless the Holy Spirit dwells in me. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in me until I've stepped into my right relationship with Christ and I've been born again and this Holy Spirit comes. And so the place that, it's at, that tongues are edifying me is every time I speak in tongues, I'm being reminded that Christ dwells in me, the hope of glory. When I'm depressed, and I don't get depressed. Depression for me is a, too strong of a word, but when I, when I uh, get melancholy, I, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I've been depressed, but I do get melancholy. And sometimes I like it. That's why I do it. <laughs> and I stay there for a while, and then you go, okay, that's enough of this nonsense. But when I pray in tongues, I'm being reminded that Christ dwells in me that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit ascended and the new covenant church was established, in that moment, Holy Spirit entered the temple. But the temple was no longer brick and mortar, stone. It was, that was no longer the temple. You became the temple. These people that we read about, they were the first temples. 
the, the gospel was now starting, the leaven of the gospel was starting to infect and affect the planet. And it started with 120 people having an encounter with the Holy Spirit moving into the street, which led us a short distance later to Peter standing in front of a larger group of people and, tell, and exhorting them and telling them, this is who the Christ is. And at the end, he, he says, me. Oh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So let's, let me, uh, where do I want to go? We'll just do it this way. Acts 2.36, let all the, this is Peter, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you murdered. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So Peter gives us, first they're out on the street, they're talking to a few. Now there's this larger gathering. Peter stands up in the midst and he gives the, this whole sermon that he gives and it culminates in these later verses of 36, 39 and a little bit beyond that. But all of a sudden, you know, there, there's this place of conviction. They're hearing the words of Peter and now they're cut to the heart when Peter says to them, this Jesus whom you murdered is the Messiah. And they look at him and they go, oh my goodness, what, what can we do? And to me, this is one of the most amazing sentences in all scripture. Here's the people that days before had stood in the courtyard and yelled, crucify him crucify him, had rejoiced in the crucifixion, had rejoiced in Christ being silenced, and here's these same people now going, oh my goodness, he was the Messiah. So what do we do? Well, you repent. What? What? You mean just repent? Yeah, you repent. And when you repent, what happens? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the day of refreshing will be yours. Because the intent of God was never to, to come and create a situation where there was no way out for the human. Instead, he created the situation that was the way in for the human. You are my creation. You, you are the ones that in your weakness, you can't get there. That in your lack of understanding, you can't get there. And you know what? After you have that first initial, oh my goodness... What shall I do? Which, by the way, was the work of the Holy Spirit. He's leading into all truth. What was the truth? Holy mackerel. We've killed the Messiah. That was the truth. Now what do I do with the truth? You repent. Well, as a human being, I can't even repent without Holy Spirit being in the midst of it. I'm not even capable of getting that far. It takes the Holy Spirit at work. Because... The, the reason that it takes the Holy Spirit, in my view, is, 
in our human capacity, when we've messed up and we're trying to fix our mess up, we have, an atten- we have a tendency to mess it up more. Have you ever <laughs> noticed that? Holy Spirit comes along and goes, shh, shh, just, just walk with me right here. Because you can't do this on your own. You're going to mess it up. But I am in you, and I will lead you through the path of repentance and bring you out the other side. And when God brings me through those times of, re- of repentance, it does not lead me to a place of shame. It leads me to a place of freedom. I don't have to be self-loathing for God to be happy. I need to repent. And repentance is that simply that place of coming and going, man, I was wrong. Sometimes I was willfully wrong, and I knew I was wrong all along. Other times I was ignorantly wrong and thought I was actually doing the right thing. I was wrong nonetheless. Repentance is the same either way. Because I got news for you. Nobody in this room is smart enough to get that on your own. You're going to filter it through your being a human being. You're going to filter it through your families. You're going to filter it through life stuff. You're going to filter it through a whole bunch of other stuff. And you're going to define repentance in some way that somehow works in your brain. When God is just saying, no, this is how it works. Repent and receive. There's only two steps. Repent and receive. You know, and there's those, um, okay, this is, this is, this is sermon number four. There, there's these places where um, we, uh, how do I want to, what do I want to say? What do I want to say? Yeah, exactly. I'm waiting for the interpretation. I'm waiting for the interpretation. Um, it does. It, you can't. You can't. And then it's, you just, uh, yeah. So let me, I'll wait, I'm going to wait for that to come back around just a minute. So, the, the, when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, he convicts the world of sin. You know, the sin of the Jew was not receiving the Messiah. That was the sin. Not sin, small s, with an S at the end, that was the sin. It was the sin of unbelief. While they were rejecting him, Jesus' mission, he went out and he was actually accredited for the miracles that the prophets had foretold. So Isaiah 35, 3 to 6, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the weeble, the weeble, the fee- <laughs> we weeble, we wobble, but we don't fall down. I should just stick with praying in tongues. Yeah. 
Make, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those that have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. <clears throat> then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness <clears throat> and streams in the desert. <clears throat> that prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit stepped in. It was also being fulfilled <clears throat> through Jesus in what he was doing. We watched, he did those miracles. He was demonstrating his messianic position at the same time that they were claiming and, and calling him a false prophet, calling him deranged, the various things that they did. But the, the move of the Spirit in those people's lives was confirmation of who he was. While Peter still in, uh, in Acts, he quotes Joel, the second, Joel 2, 28, 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall those shall be those who the Lord calls. This prophecy in Joel is actually talking about two different things. It's talking about the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. It's also talking about 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. Same, but in both of those, it's the presence of the Spirit that's, that's there. It's the presence of the Spirit that is leading those out in that awesome day when it comes so that not everyone was destroyed. But he's pouring out the Spirit on all flesh. You know, I think we need to be at this place where um, I, I stop focusing on where I find a point of disagreement with somebody and I start looking for where is the Spirit being poured out on that person. No matter who they are, no matter what they're doing. Because the Spirit's being poured out on all flesh. So if it's all flesh, anytime I'm encountering a person, somehow, some way, in some fashion, the Spirit of God is at work in that person because God's not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to know him. And I, instead of using that, using where they are as my point of disagreement, as my point of ostracization, as my point of turning, turning my head the other way, instead I should be looking and going, Holy Spirit's here somewhere. Now, it may be under a big heap, but he's there. 
So do I kick the heap or do I look for Holy Spirit? And if I find the Holy Spirit, then I start asking, okay, not only are what you do, are you inviting me in right now to something you're doing? And if so, what is that? Great time to pray in tongues. Maybe the Spirit says, yeah, I am doing something. Here's the word to speak, or here's the gift to give, or here's the help to offer, whatever that is. And there's other times that Holy Spirit says, no, just pray. I don't need you involved. I got it. You know? And then I just pray. Because my assignment is not to be the fixer. My assignment is to hear what Holy Spirit is saying because he's the one that's going to lead me into all truth. And I don't think that the truth that he leads us into is the truth uh, or the the place of exposure. Because if love covers a multitude of sin, then if Holy Spirit is showing me something... Is my, is my goal to expose it, or is my goal to cover it? Now, in covering it, it doesn't mean I gloss over it. It simply means if I'm covering it, I'm, I'm willing to hold it. I'm willing to actually enter into suffering for this individual as I cover the sin. How do I do that? Well, only Holy Spirit knows. And he knows every situation is different. Every human being is different. We all have our own thing. So I need the wisdom. I need the truth of Holy Spirit to know how to interact with this individual in this moment that is leading them to, in a way that they can see more of Jesus. And if they're not seeing more of Jesus, I'm doing something incorrect. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Most of the time, <clears throat> those of us that, that are prone to be fixers, we're, we're doing it really from an idolatrous position as opposed to being somebody that covers so that God can work. And again, when you say cover, people will say, often feel like, well, then you're just glossing over. No, what I am saying is real conviction can't come except through the Holy Spirit. So if I'm trying to build a false conviction... All I can do is point out somebody's flaw. But I'm not pointing them to where they need to go. When Holy Spirit brings conviction, Holy Spirit only speaks of Jesus. And so the conviction that Holy Spirit brings will lead the person to the right place of repentance. My conviction that I bring, all I can offer is follow the rules 
because I can't change the heart of another person. Holy Spirit can change the heart of another person. So if I'm in the weeds with this individual thinking I'm going to change their heart by winning the argument generally, usually what happens is the other person being wiser than I am goes, I know how to get out of this. I just have to placate him and he'll go away. And so they'll, they'll, give, they'll give me a false repentance. And I'll walk away feeling good. And they'll walk away in no better estate than they were before I met them. Because I never asked Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do? And how do I do it? And there's been people in my life that, that I've walked with a long time on their journey to coming to know Christ. There's been other people that, in, that the Lord just gave me a piece as my assignment with that individual. And when my assignment was up, they weren't yet where they needed to be, but I had at least helped them down the road. Yeah. Because, again, I'm not the convictor. I, I am not the Messiah. All I can do is point to the Messiah who I know. And when I point to the one that I know, how do I speak about him when I speak to other people concerning him? I had um, uh, a situation where um, there was a death in the family and, and Linda and I became connected because it was... Um, somewhat like like Jen's death and so the parent is talking to us we're talking on the phone and the parents talking to us both I mean we had it on speaker so Linda and I both are kind of talking back and forth and I didn't know that the daughter was in the room with the parent and the, the parent is a very legalistic believer and the, their anger and their frustration was centering around, I don't know why God would kill my child knowing how much I valued them and how much I loved them. And I'm trying every which way I can to go, God did not kill your child. But they weren't hearing it. And then I hear a, another child in the room start yelling at the parent and going, so you're telling me God killed him. And he's like, well, we just don't understand everything. God's ways aren't our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. And I'm like, please, please, stop, stop, stop. This is not the higher ways of God right here. And we, you know, at the end of the conversation, we, we had not moved that conversation at all. And all I could do in the end was try to leave the door open for another conversation. And I did leave that parent just, I said, you know, 
just consider this. There's another way of looking at this situation and the way you're looking at it. And I can tell you that the death of our daughter, I passed through that dark spot. Yeah. Don't stay there where you are right now. Keep moving forward because what you're attributing to God is not God. And what you're attributing to him is actually preventing him from being the God that he wants to be to you. And he's just waiting. And the parent really couldn't hear that either, and we just kind of left it. And I haven't, had, haven't talked to him in a while, so I don't know how things are at this point. Um, but how, how, how am I presenting God? When I do that, what am I, what am I sowing in somebody else's life? Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, but the sin that he's convicting us of is what has separated us from the Father so that we can be reconciled to the Father. It's not presenting the Father in some light that he's unwilling, and if it wasn't for Jesus, he'd knock the snot out of you. Or worse. No. It's... God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world. The heart of the Father is reconciliation. The coming of the Holy Spirit is reconciliation. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, it's the sin that separates us from him so that we can come in to the time of refreshing. The second is he's concerning judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. That's a prophetic statement of how we are when we don't repent right. <laughs> we just cry and cry and cry. And God's like, come on, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Let me take you out into the other room. And we're like, nah, nah, nah. Let him pick you up and take you in the other room. Yeah, it gets better. It is not the woodshed. He also convicts us of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, of this place of judgment that the, the there's actually two different two different concepts that are that are held in this in verse eleven. Um, the first one is, you know, that the false judgment of the Jews and the Roman government through Pilate in condemning the Lord Jesus. Um, that when it talks about the ruler of this world, that's the ruler that it's talking about, the Jews and the Romans. That Pilate, through judging him, would find nothing worthy of condemning him. You know, in this view, in, uh, and that's kind of the view of how the, the 1611 is, is read, that you know, Pilate is the, the mouthpiece for both the Jew and the, and the Roman government. And even Pilate admitted he, had, he could find no, no cause for crucifixion. So he could, he could find no place in him. John 14, 30, it says, I won't speak with you much longer, for the ruler of this dark world is coming, but he has no power over me, for he has nothing to use against me. That they're putting those two verses together, that, that Pilate had no power over him. Jesus had that discussion with Pilate. You can't, you can't do anything that's not been given to you. But even in that, Pilate was like, I, you know, 
I, I have no I have no crime to warrant crucifixion. But he couldn't get, you know, he was in the political turmoil and couldn't get himself out of the tight spot he was in without having him crucified. The second view, and, and that first view, that was held by almost all the early church fathers. That was the general view of what, of this, uh, what Jesus is saying. The second view, which has developed over time, you know, for, it says, for the ruler of this world's coming, and I have, this is how it would read according to this second view, the ruler of this world is coming, and I have nothing now to do but to convince the world that I love the Father and do as he commanded me. Um, and so the, another verse that would be put with this one to, to kind of give this view is John 12, 30 to 32. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So in the second view, the ruler of this world is is the ruler is darkness itself is is the the satan the the accuser um i don't know that one view has any stronger point i kind of like both of the views i think both of them both of them are there Pilate was the 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 representative of both the jewish desire and the Jewish leaders' desires and the Roman government's desire. He happened to be the man in the hot seat that had to make the decision. Um, but I also think that the ruler of this world, the, the accuser, has been cast down and that we no longer, that the power that once was held is no longer held. <clears throat> and then Jesus goes on, and it's where I want to, I was going to loop through earlier, but um, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's first called the spirit of truth, and then it says he's going he's gonna to lead us into all truth. And I want us to just... Consider something in this, lead us into all truth. All truth here is not speaking about all universal truth. Wherever it is, however it exists, whatever equation it is, whatever mathematical explanation it is, whatever quantum theory that it is, he, he's going to lead us into all truth. I can't pray in tongues, pick up a science um, a science manual that was written at a, at a PhD level, I'm not going to be able to pick it up and understand very much about what I read. And I can pray in tongues for a week, and I still won't understand very much about what I read. Because the truth that Holy Spirit is leading me in is not that truth. He's leading me in the truth, the relationship between God, the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, and me as a human being. When Jesus came in and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the truth that he's speaking of is not this broad uh, academic truth that sometimes we, we put it in. The truth he's speaking about is the true relationship of who the Father is. That's the truth. This is what God is like. Yeah. 
I'm demonstrating to you this is what God looks like. This is how he thinks. This is what he does. This is how he's manifest on the earth. This is the truth. So the, the truth that I'm being led into is relational truth with the Father, with the Creator. Along the way, I can, I can learn other truth. I'm going to have to go to school. I, I just read a book. I, I don't know that I... It's probably not the cup of tea for everyone. I found it really challenging and really good at the same time. But uh, the book's called The Language of God. And the, the gentleman that wrote it, and I can't remember his name right now, but he headed up the research project that, um, that completed the human genome. genome. So he, was that team, he led that team that put together the whole code. And it's a fascinating book. And it's, he, he writes simply, but there were pages I didn't have any idea what he was talking about especially when it got talking into the whole genetic code and DNA and how DNA works and how it, it interacts with each other and how this, that, and the other. I'm like, taking your word for it right there. I'm hoping there's not a test next week because I'm not going to pass. But he's a believer. He became a believer through science, scientific investigation. He started as an atheist, realized that there's no way that you can be non-hypocritical as an atheist. So he decided, I'll be an agnostic. That's safer. So he hung out in that camp. But the further this, these, this project went on, the further he began to just see the creator and ultimately became a believer and is a strong believer today and has said there's a lot of scientists that are strong believers, but in the scientific community, depending where you're at, it's not advantageous to talk about your faith because there's such an adversarial position between science and faith that it's a war. And he's like, but at the core, somehow, and, and of course this is, this is his assignment, how do you bring these two together so that science can actually walk with faith and the two can, can solve world problems because Science can't define faith, but at the same time, you can't take faith and try to fit all science into it as if the Bible is going to give us an explanation for everything science is saying. The Bible is not a scientific textbook. It's the story of God. So, you know, and, and we, there's... I don't want to go too far down there, but we've, we've been years creating this great divorce between science and faith. Yeah. It's not going to get put that back together overnight, but we've been creating divorce on a whole lot of levels uh, with all kinds of things. So, you know, at this point, we've really got ourselves in quite the quandary. And um, so that's enough of that. But anyway, it's a, it's a good book, but it's... the. I, my understanding is, as the Spirit is leading me into truth, the truth that he's leading me into is what leads me into the heart of the Father. It's the truth that brings faith out. It's the, faith, it's the, the truth that brings out my right relationship with God through what he's done, how he's done it, how I'm the recipient of it. And we, can, we, can, uh, we, we get into this spot where 
um, we talk about grace and and forgiveness, and it, there's times that um, we we make it. What would be the right word? We 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 make uh, grace cheap. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. It's extremely costly. Grace is free to the recipient of grace. Grace is very costly to the giver of grace. That's true with God, and that's true in our human interaction with one another. You know, we were singing today, you know, Holy Spirit, we honor you. Do we? Do we? Do we live our lives that demonstrate honor? I think we could do better. Grace, forgiveness, reconciliation, um, being called a son, being called a daughter, those are all things that flow out of the heart of the Father. But it was extremely costly for him to make that available. It cost him part of himself to do that. And if I say that I honor him, if I say that I, you know, yeah, Lord, thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. If I say thank you for forgiveness, but then I just hit the reset button and keep doing what I've been doing, knowing that the next time, well, I can be forgiven. Yeah, yeah, you can. But if the Holy Spirit is leading me into all truth, the places where I choose to hold on to darkness that, is, that once was my habitation, and I've been made free from that, but I still go back to the same jail, jail cell and sleep there every night, I don't think that's honoring to what grace has really done. If I can say, with God, all things are possible, Oftentimes I'll say that in the context of me getting more money or getting the raise or getting the car or getting, 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 getting. All things are possible that I can live righteously. Yes, come on. That's the goal. Yes, it is the goal. All things are possible. But how am I living? How, how, does, how does how I'm living look to those around me? We don't ask that question very often because most of us are probably scares the crap out of us for what they'd say. Are the people close to us seeing Jesus when they're looking at us, when they're talking to us, when they're living with us? Now, we all have our bad days, and thank goodness for grace. I'm not... This isn't, this isn't a sermon about following the law. This is a sermon about following the truth of Holy Spirit who has come to be my helper. Well, what's he helping me with? Is he, yeah, but he's not helping me to sin more. He's not helping me. Well, yeah, I'll come on. I'll, I'll help you be better at covering it up. No. He's going to come as the exposer. 
not because he's angry and hate, hates me, but because he loves me. And if I say that I've come that you, or you've, um, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, is that really happening? Can we honestly say I'm having abundant life right now? Well, if you can't say that, can you honestly say I'm having life right now? But I should be progressing in the truth so that I move into a place of abundant life. Well, what is abundant life? It's just doing the will of the Father. It's just that simple. And as I, I liked what was said earlier. It's not like you, you, you keep asking the same question over and over and over again. God, I, I don't know your will. I don't know your will. I don't know your will. You know, I think at some point the Holy Spirit goes, what are you? What do I have to do to make it any plainer? I've written it in the sky. Just do the will. Love those around you. Love God and love the people around you. Just, just do the simplest of things. How about just letting your yes be yes and your no be no? What if I just, okay, I said I would do it. Well, I'm going to do it. Well, it's not convenient to do it. Yeah, but you said you were going to do it. Well, they'll, they don't worry about it. No, you said you were going to do it. So do it. Let your yes be yes. Or be honest enough to let your no be no. Don't say yes to get somebody off the hook, get, get yourself off the hook when you know you're not going to do it. Just be up front. Just say no. Let yes be yes. Just the simplest things in life. But Holy Spirit is leading us into this truth that we be imagers of Christ, that I'm actually doing what the Father is asking me to do. I'm loving people around me. I'm, I'm, I'm starting the day looking for, what, well, what are the possibilities today in this adventure with God? What are we going to do? Who am I going to hang out with? Who am I going to talk to? Maybe somebody, maybe nobody. I just don't know. I'm, I got a whole new day, as somebody said earlier. His mercies are new every day. Okay, so I'm starting the day in his mercies. At the very least, where do I get to give them away? Because I've already got those to start today. I don't even have to work those up. So how am I going to, what, what, where am I going to give mercy away? So the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Kingdom truth only comes through him, glorifying Christ and establishing the Father's heart. He's a guide, not a manual. He leads with relational truth, not just historical truth. When it says he shall guide implies not merely that he'll show the way, but he, that he shall himself experimentally go before us in the way. Right? So he's he he shall guide that so one, he's not guiding me with a collar around my neck. He's guiding me relationally. He's guiding me as I know him, as I learn to hear his voice, as I practice his voice, as I practice in his in God's presence. He leads me. So he's walking with me in this thing. So I just need to follow his steps. I need to learn to follow his steps. None of us start this journey as a Christian like having all this figured out. What I'm saying, this is a lifelong journey. So when we're learning new things, anytime you're learning something new, 
you're more prone to make mistakes in that learning season than once you get to know it. So let repentance be there. Clean up the messes as you're learning, but just keep learning. Keep growing. Keep developing. Don't stop. He's leading me somewhere. He's leading me to be a full imager of Christ to those around me. <clears throat> yeah, so I think I'm going to stop there. But of the things that I've said today, may, may, we, may we have a fresh appreciation for the gifts of the Spirit. They're there that we can image the heart of the Father to those around us. And let us have an appreciation that, that we've each been made the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And so he's active. And the fact that I can pray in tongues is always an indication that God is in me. Yeah. Which is why I, 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 I don't know that there's... I don't, I don't think I've gotten to the point where Paul said he was, where I, he prays without ceasing. But I think there, I don't know of a day that goes by that I don't spend multiple times during the day praying in the Spirit. And not because I'm like interceding, like I'm thinking about Tom, so now I'm praying for Tom. And, you know, I'm thinking about Diane, so now I'm praying for Diane. I'm thinking about Rob, and now I'm praying for Rob. It's not, there, there's, a, there's a time and a place for that type of prayer. But most of mine is not that. It's actually just, I, I just come and start praying in tongues from a place of thanksgiving. I don't even know with the tongues I'm praying what I'm thanking God for. I just know that in my heart, I feel thanksgiving. And because I feel it in my heart, I assume that my mouth is giving declaration to what I'm thankful for. Because, um, I, you know, we've talked about this many times, but I... I over the years, have just made it an intentional practice. I want to stay in a place of thanksgiving. I want to be thankful. And, and I want that to be a daily experience. I'm just thankful. Um, I, the other day, this is more of a testimony. I'll shut this because there's some other stuff that's speaking to me there, and I just need to shut it. <laughs> shh, shh. Next week. No, not next week. Week after. Um, uh, the other day, I was walking around the yard and, and praying, and I came up and I sat down on the, on the porch and just, you know, just sitting there, just looking out over the yard and so forth. And I heard, I didn't hear, I sensed that the, the, um, the Lord's presence on the property has risen. It's increased. And I could feel the increase. And, and I didn't see anything, but I could sense the angelic presence. I don't know if more angels showed up, because I don't know how many angels were there to begin with. But something on our property increased. And I, every day since that time, I, all I have to do is go out and stand in the front yard or the backyard for that matter, but just go out in the yard and stand and turn my heart away from all the things that 
you know, my, that are in my mind, just turn away from that for a moment and center my heart in him. And when I do, I'm right in that increase. I'm there. And it's different than what, what had been there. So I don't know what that means. Um, I know that curious minds want to know. Um, I'm not that curious. I, I, I prefer, like, I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I like that God pre- prepares lots of parties. So if I don't insist on knowing what's in the gift before I get to open it, yeah. when I open it, it's just a surprise. Whoa! So I try not to be too curious. I'm just going to live in his providence. He brings stuff step by step, piece by piece. Um, I'm watching amazing things unfold. And so I don't know what this increase is. I, I have some inclination that it has to do for the guests on the property. So I don't know if this year, guests that are coming in, this is a whole new crop of guests. There's a whole other thing that God's planning. The couple that's with us this weekend, they're, uh, we found out they're believers from up around the Carlisle area. Um, and we've just been having some great conversations about what Jesus is doing and doing in them and doing with us and just, just neat stuff. Um, so there's that piece of it. So I, I, don't, I don't know beyond that. Um, or maybe it's just the, his presence is increasing. This, this is going to be a great year of abundant flowers and vegetation on the property. I think that kind of com- is going to happen anyway. But um, so I don't know. But just learn to live in this place of settling your heart, especially when life is just zipping in a hundred different directions. Learn to just settle your heart and just stand in his presence and be thankful. Just be thankful. You go, well, what should I focus on? Let's just focus on the fact that I'm thankful that I have been made a temple where the God of the universe dwells and will never leave. Under the old covenant, they always lived in the shadow that God could book. Because he did. I live in the new covenant. I live in the covenant of I've come, yeah, to abide. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You are my eternal temple. Wow. That's who I am. Well, if I'm that, most stuff in life that seems big ain't so big. It'll be gone in three days. And the four days of worry that you put into it won't materialize. But you're still the temple. Never changed. It won't change. It won't change. Into eternity, we will be temples. So, Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for Holy Spirit for all that you do in us, that you do lead us and guide us, that you comfort us, that you heal us, that you deliver us, that you constantly are taking the cheek of our face and just turning our head and going, no, just look over there. There's Jesus. He's right there. He's right there. Just look at him. Stop looking at that. Just look at Jesus. 
He's, to, he's sufficient. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your love for us, for your devotion to us, that we fully manifest all that the Father has intended for each one of us. Thank you. And thank you as we celebrate today the birth of the church, that this bride is still maturing. This bride is still moving forward. And there's a day that's set when the wedding feast of the Lamb will take place. And we will be with you in all of eternity in a way that will eclipse this season of being with you. where we really will know you as we are known. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great grace. Thank you for the cost that you paid that we could be made free. And Lord, help us to not take that for granted and not cheapen it with life patterns that you never intended for us to have. So over this company, over this community, Holy Spirit, just continue to be big in our midst. That we image you well to the community around us. And we give you all praise and all glory. Amen. So if you would like prayer, come up folks that would love to have that opportunity to pray for you.